Okay, hello everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. We're exploring the digital revolution and the incredible things that are happening in the world, especially all around this the explosive field of data and the way that it has now become probably the most valuable raw material on earth. And we're delighted today to be able to speak with one of the top executives at DataStax, Ed Enough is the chief product officer, and he is going to explain some of what DataStax is doing to help customers become more data-driven, more responsive to markets, more successful. Ed, welcome to Cloud Wars Live. It's great to have you. Great to have you here, too. So, Ed, so much going on in this space. Tell us a little bit, please, about, you know, the role that DataStax is playing right now and some of the big, uh, you know, challenges or requests you're getting from customers that are uh, you know, helping to drive this evolution of your company. Sure. So you know, I think that um, it's, it's really interesting if we look at the changes that have happened um, in, uh, in broadly just what people are doing with data and um, more importantly, at least for us at DataStax, how people are building for data. Um, so, so I think you know, we, you've heard a lot of, of um, you know, conversation about um, uh, you know, the, the power of data, how we are, um, you know, the, the different approaches to it uh, in terms of analytics, in terms of how we derive insights from it, how we use that uh, to, to influence our engagement with customers, a lot of, a lot of the technologies and mechanisms we, we do, to do uh, to do that, whether it is better analytics to help drive your business or whether it's things like AI to actually, um, you know, uh, change the way that, that you uh, interpret and react to this data. But, you know, at least for where DataStax fits into the equation, it's really about how people build with data. Mm -hmm. um, in, in order for this to happen, in order for this transformation to happen, um, it, it doesn't just magically happen. This is, in many cases, not the data you already have. And in fact, I think this is one of the hard lessons that a lot of folks um, think and believe because they start from a point where they're probably uh, under the belief, and it's a mistaken belief, that they already have a ton of data. The reality is that getting into uh, the, the level of data um, that you need to actually take advantage of a lot of these um, techniques and scenarios that you read about, you're actually talking about up-leveling it to, to um, uh, you know, uh, volumes of data that, that your conventional infrastructure um, wouldn't even be able to handle. And so this is where, where the starting point for most folks is, is you start talking about saying, okay, you know, you need to, to collect and log and interpret um, you know, all of these streams of data. And then that's where very quickly the realization is that your, your application architectures, your data and so on um, is, is just not, you know, is not going to get you there. And so, so that's kind of this, this inflection point that, that a lot of folks have, have dealt with. There's a lot of other pieces that go along with that, which is that um, the natural consequence of this um, both from a business driver um, in terms of building these type of applications, as well as from a technical driver, how do I do it, starts to drive thinking if, 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 you know, if someone is not already well along their cloud journey, as they start to, to raise and bring these ideas front and center, they will very quickly start to realize that they need to, to accelerate their cloud journey. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
Ed, you know, it, it's uh, all those challenges that you've just described there, they're significant enough in any case, but these days, right, at the, the pace of business, the way things are changing, every industry, uh, so there's this notion of speed is great, the flexibility you're showing here with, you know, uh, guests who've, who've uh, entered the scene, but Ed, uh, I, you know, as I read up on Datastacks, one of the things that it seems like Datastax is offering to customers is this ability to get a better fix on speed, flexibility, and innovation, right? The architecture that you've just described helps them to do that. And it really is one of those from to shifts, right? Because the way they were set up in the past just would be incompatible with what they need in the future. So what role does Datastax play in that rapid evolution? Well, so, you know, where Datastax fits into the equation is giving you the infrastructure for dealing with scale out data. And what that means is that the, the first thing to keep in mind, and, and this is one of the things that I think, um, you know, goes back to, to what you talked about in terms of agility. So um, dealing with large amounts of data, and some people would debate me on this, but, but the reality is that, that you know, there's been me mechanisms, there's been means for many, many years to go and deal with, with large amounts of data. Um, certainly, you know, you know, even in the pre-internet age, if you have the data um, and you knew how much data you had, um, you certainly could go to your Oracle salesperson, write a very large check, and, and they'd set you up with some software that would, would handle that data. Um, uh, that's not what this is about. What this is about is knowing in advance, like again, if you were to enter into that hypothetical, and unfortunately not a hypothetical for many, many Fortune 500 companies, um, they, they had to live this, but getting into that conversation um, required you to go and start to understand uh, how much data, how is it going to grow over time? Um, what's the upper bound on this? Um, because it, you know, you would then have to get into a very serious negotiation with um, your software vendors, with your hardware vendors, a budgetary planning cycle that that would, you know, um, involve, you know, your CIO and your CFO. Um, and it was a very big deal. This is why, you know, when you would talk about, you know, the uh, you know, the, the IT efforts back in, you know, in the 90s and, and the, 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 for many of the companies, you know, in the 2000s before they started dealing with internet scale and as they tried to address it, that those were the problems. Um, you know, how much, how much software do I need? How much hardware do I need? Um, how do I scale that up? And um, business agility means going and saying, I don't know the answer to those things. We're trying to compete. We're trying, we, you know, we are, we, you know, if, if you are, a, you know, you've, if, if you're dealing with digital transformation, it's because you've got, um, you know, born in cloud competitors that are coming after your business. And the way that you would do that, the way you would respond to that was that you needed scale out um, uh, infrastructure. Um, and, and today when we talk about scale out, we mean things like Kubernetes and, uh, and certainly, you know, if, if you turn back the clock, you know, 10, 12, 13, 14 years ago, that was the, that was where the cloud started to arise, you know, on the scene. That's where, where people started to first get really interested in what things like AWS were doing was, was where you would go and say, look, um, 
I, my business requires me to deal with uncertainty around scale. Um, I need flexibility. I need agility around it. Um, and so that, that was where the cloud ar arose. That's where Cassandra, which is the, the database that Datastax is built upon, first made its name. So Datastax was the first and still is the most versatile um, scale-out database that for situations where where your scale is going to go and uh, and grow in unpredictable ways. You hope it goes up, but that pace of where, where it goes up. Um, what scale out means is I can just keep on adding nodes and servers and, and infrastructure that I don't have to go back to the drawing board. Um, and so Cassandra was what enabled a number of retailers, many of the major retailers um, in, you know, in operation today, built critical parts of their e-commerce uh, stack on top of Cassandra. And so 10 years ago, um, in digital transformation, the question was, how do I compete with Amazon, right? If you think back to, to where, you know, where many of the major retailers were dealing with this encroachment, um, they needed to have uh, a scale-out e-commerce stack. And so they were building on top of, of Cassandra and they were leveraging the cloud to do that. Inter interesting and ironically enough, they were, they were using AWS's cloud um, to, to hold AWS off. I, I remember having conversations with, with major retailers back in 2012, 2013, where, where they were very much doing that. Um, so- It was the only alternative, right, Ed? Well, I, I mean, there are, there are multiple choices now, um, but, but, uh, but I do recall talking to, to one executive at, at a, uh, uh, you know, at, at, at a you know major uh, you know electronics uh, retail store, big box retail store, that said um, they were perfectly happy to uh, let the fact that that Amazon was subsidizing its cloud business with with its retail profits be help them accelerate and un underwrite their their digital transformation. Um, many of those retailers now, and this gets us into the multi-cloud era, um, have since moved on to other clouds. Um, they, they do find that that you know it's easier for them to 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 align you know what they're trying to do with 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 perhaps you know cloud providers that are not in their core business. That's one of the great things about multi-cloud. That's why we currently have you know a, a, a big three triumvirate of hyperscale clouds and 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 a number of other uh, you know cloud providers that are are serving you know very specific use cases. So, and along with that, and uh, uh, again, I, I think it's uh, so interesting when you're talking about this, it's a whole change in, as you said, not just one technology out, another technology in, but as you described that, the old world, right? You had to somehow plan, guess, predict into the future, I'll need this much, and then I'll buy this much software. So on the one hand, you had the pressure to say, well, tamp that down, right? Keep it as low as possible, which then limits your ability to deal with, you know, these new sort of situations, new levels of data and so forth like that. So companies were in some ways boxing themselves in, which then affected their business models, affected their planning and everything they did. So it just seems in today's times that that was a hundred years ago, but it wasn't that long ago. So a lot of this has happened really fast. And Ed, talk about, please, the, the role of, you know, the open data stack, which I think yeah. is so vital for what uh, data stacks is doing. And, and particularly because I think 
every tech vendor you talk to today, I think they're in a race to see how many times they can use the word open in here. So what is it uniquely with data stacks that allows you to have that credibility about you know, the uh, open data stack? Well, so I think that the interesting thing about data has been, with a few exceptions, I'm, I'm proud to say that Cassandra has really dealt with, with scale-out technology um, better than, than the majority of them. I think that's what gives us a, 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 a you know, unique position here. But the reality is all of the um, big data infrastructure, no matter how you define it, um, has been slow to leverage uh, the cloud. Um, and by slow to leverage the cloud, I mean that uh, it's been very much, um, you know, the challenge has been, and the cloud providers have done a good job of adapting to it, but if you, you know, the, to, to the needs of data infrastructure, but most data infrastructure, most databases, and, and I include all the big names, um, even the big open source names, um, uh, were designed for this idea of dedicated hardware. If you were to go and, and, and talk to folks, um, uh, you know, if you were to go and talk to database architects, database administrators, and they would say, oh, you know, you should use bare metal. Um, and, uh, and that's at, at odds with, with the, these agility requirements. And so um, a big part of what we've seen has been, you know, the, the major uh, catalyst for success has been, you know, this move to to this idea that you could separate compute and storage and that you could do things like serverless data. Right now, if you look at, for example, a lot of people have been you know, very excited about the growth of, of Snowflake, for example. Well, what, what, um, what Snowflake did for the data warehouse was again, that they brought this idea that you could have elasticity, that you could have growth without having to go and spend six months doing a sizing exercise. Mm -hmm. um, and once you erase that from the equation, um, then, then you just are focusing on the benefits that it bring, brings to you. Well, in operational data, which is the, the type of data that, that Cassandra does, that, that, that you know, most of what you hear um, from, from you know, application use cases of data, that has not um, caught up um, as well with, you know, with this elastic scalability of the cloud. So you're hearing a lot more conversation um, about serverless. Um, this is one of the things that we introduced um, with our cloud service. So, so for the first time, Cassandra always had this ability to scale, but, um, but what we did was actually just make it completely transparent in the background and, and really just told customers, you don't have, you can just think about how many reads and writes are you doing without having to actually do any sort of scaling exercise. And you're seeing a lot of folks following suit on this. I think that that over the next two years, you're going to see that all forms of data infrastructure are going to be, uh, you know, in some form serverless, um, you know, or they're really gonna fall behind. This is gonna be what, what developers and operators and IT are looking for um, in, their, in their data infrastructure. The open data stack is about how do we take this idea? How do we standardize it? How do we make it portable? And so what we've done, um, and, and again, I think this is early for most uh, database providers, but what we've gone and done has been to, uh, you know, go and, um, uh, and, and base this on top of Kubernetes, 
base this on top of things like object storage that now has transformed how people go uh, and, and organize their storage, whether it's in cloud or on-prem, because what you basically have is that the, the world is standard or standardized around um, uh, uh, block storage, object storage, um, whether they're doing it on-prem with things like Minio, whether they're doing it in any of the hyperscale clouds, uh, everybody has S3 compatible APIs. Um, and so you've got your storage now that is just, you know, scale out via, via very simple APIs. You've got your compute now that's been standardized on top of Kubernetes. Um, we're standardizing the API tier, uh, things like REST, GraphQL, gRPC, um, service mesh, so that the networking and connectivity is standardized. And now within that, things like your database, things like your streaming uh, infrastructure can all sit within that and, and be, be scaled in a, in, you know, in a very agile way. So, so again, um, that's what the Open Data Stack is about. It's about going and saying there's an architectural transformation that's happening that all of your data infrastructure is going to be, become part of. So, Ed, I want to be sure, too, to ask you about uh, something you just mentioned there with developers but also then to ask about customers. So, uh, you know, you had mentioned about for a long time that, uh, you know, IT organizations and developers were looking for something with more flexibility, more capability and so forth. But, you know, it had just for some time been elusive, but now it seems like, uh, you know, the, the developers, uh, maybe people in the development community would say, we've always been rock stars, but I think the rest of us, the rest of the world is really recognizing that over the last couple of years. And you see these predictions for, you know, the, the role that developers will play. It's, it's pretty remarkable. So um, Datastack seems to have some interesting ways too to help developers specifically be more productive, be more successful and be higher value in the organization. Tell us about that. So, you know, I think that, that the interesting thing is, um, it's a good observation, but I think uh, that, that what's really important is that where the, the magic happens is the, when you're removing the barriers to your developers from being able to go and deliver on these initiatives um, you know, as quickly as possible without having to go and interrupt every decision with a more you know, uh, onerous, um, you know, procurement process, budgeting process, and so on. Look, the, 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 it's, it's, you know, yes, you know, we've got great developers and developers are, are recognized as rock stars and so on, but, but from an organizational standpoint, I often look at this and what, what does this translate if you're, you know, from an enterprise standpoint, what it just means is that the time to, um, experiment with an idea, the time to take something into production, uh, the time to be able to respond to, you know, business changes, market demands, just gets reduced. Mm -hmm. Because the reality is, um, and the difference, you know, um, I was at Google for, for a number of years. And, um, you know, we had great engineers there, obviously, you know, Google prides itself in, in hiring great software developers. But part of what the way that Google actually does what it does is, by creating the systems and, when, and, and automating those systems that make it possible for those developers on a day-to-day -day basis to not have to go and spend their time sitting around going and, and 
and you know planning for for doing you know capacity planning for going and having to to evaluate you know and negotiate with vendors and all of that the the developers come in the, what what the majority of developers at, at a company like google spend their day doing is the same thing um, apart from those things once you remove all of these things the yeah. code that they write the applications that they build look just like what an application what a developer um, at a fortune 500 um, company would be building you know in 2021 yes they're building web apps they're they're invoking microservices. They're calling, reading and writing data from databases. They're doing, you know, um, all of these things are, you know, the developer, the, the work that the developer does in developing, if, you're com if you are running your company the right way, um, uh, you know, ends up looking a lot the same. What your difference between, if you're at a Fortune 500 company, if you're a CIO, what I assure you that you're developed, where your developer the day of your developers look significantly different is that you guaranteed or have a lot more overhead on your decision-making process. And a lot of that comes from, from a lot of cost controls um, and planning processes that, that arise from the fact that you're not building on top of a nimble infrastructure, that the cost of, that the cost of these decisions of making the right or wrong decision um, is is so high that you've you've burdened your developers with processes. So it isn't. So yes, you may have some some rock stars, but the majority of code written, even at at you know at at these these internet companies, is written by 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 good developers. And I guarantee you, you've got good developers. You're just not giving them the ability to do what they need to do. You're you're you've got you know um, many many companies are still dealing with. You know, as as hard as it is to believe, you know, um, the time to get a new database provision for when they want to try something out is 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 days or weeks. Um, uh, you know, even even in the you know day of cloud day of days of cloud and cloud compute, I still hear from folks at at major you know Fortune 500 companies that provisioning a new VM still you know requires them filling out a form. Um, all of these things that, that you put in place, when you trace them back, they, they are because you have, um, you know, you basically have fragile infrastructure, you don't have agile infrastructure, and that transition um, is what makes all the difference. And so the open data stack is, um, you know, the good news has been that, that the world of compute has, has caught up. And so now, you know, you can go and you can get from, from VMware, you can get from IBM, you can get, you know, even within your on-prem, your self-managed, you can get Kubernetes and it's, it's turnkey and all of that, but your data infrastructure is not caught up. And so the open data stack is about trying to make data catch up to where Kubernetes is um, in terms of giving you that agility. Oh, that, uh, that's, uh, that's great. Uh, fragile infrastructure to agile infrastructure and you know, so speaking of rock stars, right? If you hire a big band to come play at a party and then you tell them, oh, by the way, you have to set up the stage, you have to put up the chairs, you got to do the, I mean, what's the point? They're not getting to exercise their art. They're doing things that they're contributing. So that, I, I think your perspective on that was great. Um, Ed, I wanted to ask you too about data stacks. Are there uh, a couple of, you, you've described this a lot, but can you point to any particular things that customers have been asking you for 
to help them do things that they have not been able to do in the past? Yeah, I mean, I think that the great thing, you know, for for what we've been seeing, you know, over the last year. So when, um, you know, about a year and a half ago, we went and, 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 you know, took a look at the business. We said, okay, you know, what's going on with the Cassandra, um, uh, you know, overall ecosystem state of the software and all that. And what we found was that, that, you know, Cassandra had done a really good job of enabling scale. Um, but, you know, it was, um, uh, you know, it was hard to develop for, it was hard to operate and it was, it was expensive to, to, to run. And so we looked at those things. Um, we looked at how to address those. We looked at, at changing the developer experience, making it API centric. We looked at, uh, we looked at the, uh, you know, bringing it to the cloud, um, bringing it cloud native to Kubernetes. Um, and we looked at things like serverless for, for changing the cost. And once we did that, we started to, to get a whole bunch of, so first thing was that that was great. Um, we got a lot of great feedback from that, but we started to then go and see, okay, um, you know, being able to do this in a multi-cloud fashion is super important. Um, we found that, that, you know, the interesting thing about multi-cloud is it's one of these things that people have been talking about for a long time, um, almost to the degree where they, where, where, where you had sort of people coming at it from a contrarian standpoint saying, does anybody really need multi-cloud? Isn't, isn't one cloud good enough for, for folks? Turns out that once you give people choice, that they would rather um, not have all their eggs in one basket. And so, so we started to get people saying, okay, you know, um, we want to do things with, uh, you know, with, with Azure, want to do things with Google Cloud. Um, uh, we want to have databases that can span all of those. We want to be able to leverage the, the availability of, uh, of these. Um, so bringing out capabilities like multi-region that bring the data um, as close as possible to where your users are, but also, um, you know, go and, and, and help you ensure that, that if something goes wrong, that there's a copy of the data so that your service is never down. You know, being able to go and, and have universal dial tone and whatever it is that you're providing to your customers is super important. So we see all those things. We also see now that, that people want to be able to go and, and connect this data to everything that they're doing. So streaming becomes really important as this universal glue um, for building a connected data architecture. And we see that as being a, uh, a really important um, direction that, that a, lot of, a lot of customers are going in. Well, this has been great. I think you've offered a, a wonderful view of what Datastax is doing, why it's making a difference here. And I wanted to see, was there, uh, give you the last word here, is there anything you wanted to be sure to add? Well, I think, um, you know, we covered a lot of, of great topics. I think that, that you know, things I would, would summarize again are that, that you know, uh, data, data needs to catch up with the agility that the cloud has brought. A lot, of, a lot of what the cloud has brought has been primarily around compute, making it easier to, to write software, to run your software, but data has been slow to catch up with that. And so the good news is, that if you look at what Datastax is doing, frankly, and as to what where where all of the um, you know vendors that are thinking correctly about the future are going, they're thinking about that. They're thinking about multi-cloud. They're thinking about serverless. They're thinking about um, avoiding lock-in. They're thinking about being built on top of open source. I think that that's the thing that I would would leave people with is that. 
Um, many of these, many companies are now, you know, they're, 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 um, they're thinking about the next phase of their cloud transition. And what I would say is that, um, you know, as you do that, you don't need to be locked in. Um, any of the, you know, any of the database alternatives that you're seeing or data infrastructure alternatives you're seeing from a cloud provider, there are great third party, um, uh, you know, alternatives that are multi-cloud that won't lock you in. Um, Datastax is one of those providers, but but doesn't matter what you're looking at. If you're looking at, at you know, databases, whether you're looking at NoSQL, whether you're looking at SQL, whether you're looking at streaming, whether you're looking at data warehouses, um, there are, you know, there are first class providers giving you that option um, uh, more often than not built on top of open source. Um, I would I would heartily recommend that if you're a CTO, if you're an architect, if you're a developer, and if you're, or if you're a CIO looking at the strategy across all of these, that, um, you know, that, that you do your own homework and that, that you look at these multi-cloud options because um, having that, that optionality, avoiding lock-in um, is gonna pay a lot of dividends down the line. Well, Ed, thank you so much because, you know, I think especially your concluding point that we always say that in the cloud wars, the, the biggest winners are the customers because they get to benefit from all this incredible innovation and the competition that's leading to that innovation. So I think those are wise words. Um, Ed, thanks so much for being with us today. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. All right, and folks, thanks to all of you for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation with the uh, Chief Product Officer at Datastax, Ed Enough, and we look forward to seeing you next time.